Good morning, and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we start the last major section of biblical requirements of evangelism, namely our personal testimony. We will see that the scriptures actually outline a standard model for witnessing by using our own personal experiences and testimonies as evidences of God's redeeming love and his saving grace. We'll even hear today this story shared from one of our very own at the end of today's message. Thanks for listening today as we seek to find a biblical model for sharing our story. It was a year or two ago that we had this little corner in our house uh, that kind of became a catch-all for the toys of the kids and uh, Sadie's artwork and supplies and some musical instruments. We kind of didn't have a place. We didn't have a cupboard. So right, right on the edge of the couch, right where the lamp is, just sort of became a pile of toys. And then at one point, my daughter came to me and she said, Daddy, have you seen my wallet? Oh boy, nope. And she, we searched and we looked and searched all over and days passed until finally it, it, it occurred to me, you know what, I bet it's in this mess of toys and art supplies. And sure enough, guess what we found? We found her wallet. Guess how much money was in this wallet? One dollar. Amazing, right? For a little four-year-old. So uh, she was overjoyed to have her dollar back in this uh, wallet that once was lost, but now is found. Uh, I knew how she felt. I remember being a, a young person. I was, um, I was a teenager, and I was playing in solo ensemble in Kingsford. Now, I went to school in Florence, and so we all got on the bus, and we went to Kingsford. And um, I had taken my, uh, my wallet out, I believe, and left it somewhere in the high school. Now, I thought it might have been in the bathroom. Um, and when it occurred to me that I was missing my wallet, I went back into the bathroom and I looked all around. Now, the, the reason I had to take it out is because uh, teenagers, boy teenagers especially, need to wear nicer clothes for solo ensemble than the clothes I was wearing. So that's why I was changing. But I had, I had forgot to pick up my wallet. And as I searched through the bathroom, it was nowhere to be found. Now, I had a lot more than one dollar in there. I, had, I remember I had $86 in my wallet. And for a teenager, that was like, a, I mean, I felt as like a millionaire. Um, it also had some identification in there. It had, uh, might have been my learner's permit. I can't exactly remember, but I knew that there was a lot. I remember how much money, but I do remember there was a lot of other information that was in there. And as I was walking out of the bathroom, I just kind of caught a glance at the trash can. And guess what was in the trash can? My wallet was in the trash can. And so I overjoyed, picked it up. Sure enough, it was my wallet. And I opened it up and it had been gutted. All the money was gone. But all of the other documents that I needed, my fishing license, everything else, it was, it was still intact. So lost and found, but having sacrificed some that I really would have missed. Well, it was only a year or two ago, uh, my son lost his wallet as well, couldn't find it anywhere, and then we got a call from one of the neighbors of his friends uh, that they had found his wallet. Actually, they hadn't found it. The lawnmower had found it, and um, this is what happened to my son's wallet. Have you ever lost something and then found it again? I mean, this is so ubiquitous in human nature. Jesus includes this as one of the parables, right? The, the woman who loses a coin, and then when she finds it, she rejoices, right? 
And maybe for you, there's been that moment where you've lost something only to once more recover it and just be like, thank goodness. I mean, I was in trouble until I found it again. Well, Jesus knows that this parable is exactly the story of your life. This is not a story about a wallet or a coin. It's a story about your soul. There was a time when you were lost. Uh, The hymn writer of Amazing Grace says you were blind. But because of Jesus' love for you, because of God's relentless pursuit for your soul, you are now, as the angels rejoice, found in him. You were once blind, but now you see. And so all of us in here who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we share this story of rejoicing, knowing what it is, To once be lost, but now be found. And yet, in the illustrations that I gave, some people um, didn't recover all that was lost. In fact, the time away from God meant meant that there is a sacrifice. That could have been yours in Christ. For the time that you have been given on earth to serve him was used instead for either rebellion or wild living. And you're given a second chance now to recover. But then for many people in our world today, they hear the message of the good news of the gospel. And yet the lawnmower still finds them. That there, there is no recovery because they have not listened. They have not re- repented. They've lived, continued to be blind. This morning we're going to continue in our series of studying what does evangelism mean from a biblical perspective. And we're going we're gonna to come to a part in our study uh, that is unique. In fact, it's a whole other section. I want to remind you of some of the places where we've been. Again, last year we studied the first quadrant uh, or, um, of, of service, that this is an essential part of evangelism. If there, if there is no expression of your life in service to God, you're doing evangelism wrong. It means there is a discontinuity between what you say and what you do. So we led with this. This was the very first emphasis that we uh, wanted to make sure that we're giving our attention to. When it comes to our testimony about Jesus Christ, it has to first be how we display our lives. Because you've heard it before. People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Have you heard that one before? They don't really care what you know. Until they actually see that you care for them. So this is an essential component of evangelism. Um, We have for the last three Sundays been studying this next section. It is not what you are doing, but it's actually the words of the gospel. We've studied this in depth. I want to give a reminder that we're not looking at methods of evangelism. We are addressing it according to how the scriptures relate the very first words of evangelism that come from the apostles. Now, we had a great meeting this last Wednesday with Child Evangelism Fellowship. I'm going to give a quiz for those of you who were there. I'm looking around. I see a couple who were there. Trish taught us that the gospel was just two words, Jesus and then something else. So if you know the answer, shout it out. Jesus. Thank you. I heard it. Yes. Jesus saves. That's the gospel. That's, that's it. If you got that, you, you basically got it. But as we've looked through the text, we've seen that the message of Jesus saving is really um, described in a proclamation that doesn't require any sort of coercion. It doesn't require any sort of convincing. 
uh, three ways. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is alive, and Jesus died for our sins. I don't care if you believe me. That's true. Do you guys see how the, the component of the gospel that we're given in the scriptures is objectively true, regardless of if you believe me or not? It's like gravity. If you jump out of a plane, what's going to happen? Not, uh, ten times out of ten, gravity is going to happen. You don't have to believe me for that to be true. It's just true. And that's what it was for the very first uh, evangelists. Jesus is Lord, which means over all kings, over all lords, over all nations, Jesus has been exalted to the highest place. That's what it means that he's Lord. doesn't matter if you believe me or not. That's true. He's alive. Go, go look in the grave. Go try to find his tomb. It's empty. I don't, it doesn't matter if you believe me. That's true. And Jesus walked the path of Calvary. He suffered and died on the cross for our sins. That's just a fact. It's just true. These three core components make up for the very first disciples, apostles, evangelists, the message of the gospel. And you can crystallize this a little bit more to say Jesus saves. But these are the components that we see here. In fact, I want you to see this at the end of uh, Luke's gospel. We have them uh, hidden. I want to see if you can spot them here. Uh, The text says in uh, chapter 24, then he opened their minds. This is Jesus speaking with uh, those who are with him on the road so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Did you see where Jesus is Lord? Did you see how this is a a gospel that gets proclaimed to all the nations? That's because he's he's Lord. Did you see that Jesus rose from the grave? Did you see that in there? Right there. Suffer and rise on the third day. That's the second component of the gospel. And what about dying for our sins? Right there. All three necessary components of the gospel message wrapped up right in the commission that comes out of Luke's gospel. But for today, we're going to focus on one other little phrase in this passage. It's what Jesus says right here. You are witnesses of these things. And this is the message that gets translated down to the apostles. You heard it this morning already in Acts 1.8. Lois read it for us here once more. And you will be my witnesses. And so today we're going to move on to the third quadrant, um, which is to be a witness. When we're looking at the description of sharing the good news in evangelism, I want to submit to you all three of these um, I keep saying quadrant, but that would be quarters. Wouldn't it? What, what's the word for three? Trident. Tr- tr- say? A trident? Like, a, like, a, like, a, like the... I'm lost here. It's not in my notes. So, all right. Whatever it is, you all get the point. The third section here. The third. Thank you. I'll go with that. The third is being a witness, and that's your testimony. We're, we're going to look at it this Sunday, and we're going to look at it again next Sunday in two ways. Today, we're going to, once more, we're going to look through God's word to identify where does testimony show up and is there anything that we can learn from the very first people who gave their testimony that will inform us 
how are we supposed to share a testimony? If it's true that God has made the church to be witnesses to the world, and if that witness is given through our testimony, well, what's a testimony? What does it look like? What does it mean? That's our study for this morning. I, I put up here that it's subjective because it's yours. This is your story. You're very likely to identify similar patterns from the people sitting across from you, as all Christians have. But I want to emphasize to you that God has worked in your life in a way that is special, in a way that is unique, that is a gift for you to share the good news of what God has done for you. This, this is the third, third in the necessary components of what what make up evangelism? It's not just our service. It's not just the facts of the gospel. God intends to use you as a witness. You guys with me? Everybody with me on this? Okay. So for, for us to begin, uh, we are going to study uh, the Apostle Paul's journey. A couple weeks ago, we studied Peter. Today, we're studying Paul. So I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts. And we're going to begin with what happened to Paul in his conversion. So turn with me to Acts chapter 9. That's page 1563 in the Pew Bibles. Acts chapter 9. I have the words up here on the screen as well. They're kind of little, but I'd love it if you have your Bibles and could follow along. Again, this is Luke recording what happened to Paul. But his name's not Paul at this point. What is it? Very good. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, there, there's more that's going to happen in the, the book of Acts. This is the part that I want us to just hold on to because this is what happened to him. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine being one of the guys walking with Paul and suddenly like no clouds in the sky, yet lightning like you've never seen, flashes of light so that now this, this guy, Paul, is Saul, blind and a voice from heaven why are you persecuting me i mean it's it's an amazing story this happened to saul before he became paul didn't happen to anybody else it was a unique story that happened specifically to him so how does paul then use this conversion this transformative moment how does paul then use this in his life to become an evangelist well, in order for us to see that, let's fast forward in the book of Acts, and we're going to go to chapter 22, and you're going to see how Paul now, as he gets a chance to speak to the Jews 
who are, who are bringing accusation against him, you're going to hear how he relates and recounts the story. Acts chapter 22, we're going to go through verses 1 through 10. Everybody ready? Okay. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to, uh, to them in Aramaic, they became quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers. and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. By the way, does this sound familiar? Sounds like exactly what we just heard, right? Verse 5, as also the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you, you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. There it is. That's the story. Paul is now using his testimony to deliver truth about his conversion and having met Jesus. There's one other place I want us to look at. This comes in uh, chapter 26. So just fast forward just a few more chapters. Or yeah, a few more chapters. I don't, I don't have this one on the screen because it's a little bit too long, but we're going to start in chapter 26. And I want, here's why we're doing this this morning. A little bit of Bible study in church, okay? The, the reason is because I want us to be able to see if there are any similarities of Paul's testimony, any patterns that we can identify that you and I can learn from about how we need to share our testimony. That's why we're going through this exercise. So chapter 26, let's start again in verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Agrippa here is Herod Agrippa II. So he's a king. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope in what God has promised to our fathers that I'm on trial today. This is the promise that our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly Serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. By the way, that hope is resurrection. That's when he's referring to hope. He's referring to resurrection from the dead. Verse eight. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. 
And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another and had them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All right. That's, that's where we're going to stop in the book of Acts for today. But I hope you were able to see some parallels within what happened to Paul and how he began to use what happened to him as a story. This is my story. This is what I went through. And let me tell you how I met Jesus and how he changed my life. So if you have your sermon notes, I want to give you some observations that we can pull from this. When it comes to your testimony, you have two options. That's what we're going to cover this morning. There are two options for a personal testimony. The first is what God has done in your life. Notice past tense. The, the first option that you have for your testimony is your conversion. Your story of coming to faith in Jesus. This is who I was. This is what I did. This is what God did for me. And now this is what he sent me to go and do. This is what God has done. And there's three ways um, that we can break it down, that we can see here in the text, three common patterns. Um, and I want to make it pretty easy to remember. So the first is, I'm just calling lost. This is when you are lost. It's, it is giving an honest assessment of your sins, your past sins as a non-Christian. Did you catch it from Paul, right? If this was, if this was our Wednesday Bible study, I'd ask somebody to t- tell me, did you see it? What was it? Well, of course, he said, I persecuted Christians. I, was a, I, was a, I almost made them a blaspheme God. I arrested them. Like I was taking the saints, God's chosen servants, and I was killing them. That is what Paul was when he was lost. I wonder what it was like for you before you knew Jesus. What was your life like? Could, could you scribble down a couple little notes of what characterized your values? Maybe the types of words you would say. I had a conversation with a buddy this morning here at church talking about how kids today when they're young carry on with words that you can't say in church. Well, what about you when you were their age, right? Think back to what your life was like before Jesus. And if you're going to make this part of your story, what you and I need to do is we need to learn to identify those things. What, what, in what areas was I blind 
That's what the scriptures will say, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of those so that they don't understand. Well, at one time you were blind. The mistakes that you've made, which the Bible will call sin. If you're not willing to give evaluation over your conversion and in your story of how God saved you from being lost, you're going to miss a critical component of how the scripture relates giving a personal testimony. When it comes to your conversion, it always starts with identifying who you were when you were lost. Second step is now you're found. And you'll hear for Paul, this was a very um, uh, charismatic moment, right? It was unique. Uh, I don't know how many of you were blinded on your way to go persecute Christians. That wasn't my story. But that was how it happened to Paul. Jesus came and spoke directly to Paul's heart, challenging what he was doing and carrying on and proving to him he was in error. So that now he's no longer lost. Now he is found. Incidentally, he was blind spiritually. Now he's literally blind, right? By by the Lord humbling him only to have Ananias come later and have his eyes opened for the first time so that now he sees as never before. Your personal testimony must elevate the mercies and grace of God as being abundant in your life. It's not how great you are. Let me tell you about why I'm such a great Christian. You're doing it wrong. That's not how a personal testimony works. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is all about what God has done for me. So in, in this effort, we need to identify the blessings and the mercies and the saving grace of God in our life. What's your story? What was it like for you before you knew Jesus? And then when the light bulb went on in your life and you said, I'm done. I'm done living for myself. I now give my heart to Jesus. All right, one third step, lost, found, and finally loved. Your testimony must reveal God's redirection uh, and restoration of your soul. You were, you were headed in a direction towards the lawnmower, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that was what was coming for you. You, you were headed in a direction where it was going to be bad news and then Jesus came and he took you out of the trash can, you know, maybe after you suffered some loss and he now is remaking you into something new. God is going to use you for his service. We saw this in Acts 26, right? This is where we see Jesus speaking to Paul. And by the way, this is the one passage where we get more of what Jesus said. Jesus apparently said more to Saul on that day than what we have recorded in in Acts 8 and Acts 22. But you have it right here. Look at verse 17. He says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes. Wow, that's amazing. He's not going to be used for God. My life was just simply used for myself, but now God is going to recycle me. <laughs> how do you like that word, right? What, what, do you, what do you do with the trash? Well, normally it goes in the bin unless it can be recycled and reused. And that's what's happening in Paul's life. And for this in our testimony, you, you and I need to be able to be able to identify the new direction of, of our life and our calling. I once was like this, and then God's grace found me, and now I'm wholly different. Now I'm completely different. That is a testimony. 
Think with me on that word for a moment. We, we read it already in Acts 1.8. Remember he says, I am sending you to be my what? Witnesses. The, the Greek word here is where we get the English word martyr from. Right? The very first witnesses were all killed for their faith. They, they, that, that word though, witness, that's a word that we use in a courtroom setting, is it not? Right? You, you, you've got the prosecution, you've got the defense, you've got the judge, and they say, let me call my first witness. And what does that witness do? They come and they say, I, I swear to tell the truth. And then they sit down and they give their what? Testimony. What about you? What has God given you in a story that's unique, that only you have a treasure of God speaking into your life so that you get to give a testimony as one, like on a witness stand. This is the truth, the whole truth. This is what God did for me. I want to show you a couple other places where we can see this in Paul's life. Three passages. First, Galatians 1, 13 through 16. I'll just read it off the screen. It says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. There, this is his testimony to the churches in Galatia. Did you catch the three components? The lost. Where did Paul talk about being lost? His sins. See it? Right there. I persecuted God. I tried to destroy the church. How about being found? What did God do for Paul? There it is right there. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace. And now what about loved? What's Paul's uh, recycling in his life? Right here. So that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul gives his testimony. And these are the three necessary components of, what he is, uh, of how he describes it. Let's show, show you another one. This is from 1 Timothy 1. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. That he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for this very reason... I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. All right, let's, let's look at our three categories. Lost. Where, where does Paul identify his sin? A couple of places. Do you see it? I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. I'm the worst. I was the worst. That's with me when I was lost. How about found? Here it is. He's talking about what God did for him. I was shown mercy. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So this is what God did. And now what is my life towards? What's the recycling? He appointed me to his service. 
He made me an example for those who would believe in him to receive eternal life. All right, one last example. I'm just trying to hammer this in because I want you to see these are the three necessary components of a personal testimony. Last one here, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, for I am the... By the way, if you're tracking, you're probably picking these out now. By now, you should be seeing them as I'm reading them, okay? For as I am the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Where was he lost? There's his sin right there. What did God do for him? God gave him grace. And it was his grace that's working in him. In order to do what? In order to now preach the message of the gospel. Everybody tracking with me on these? All right, so the first testimony that you get is what God has done in the past. Here's the second one. It's not what God has done, but what God is doing in your life. And this isn't your conversion anymore. This is now talking about your path of discipleship. When it comes to a personal testimony, you have two options. I talk about what God has done in my conversion, or I talk about what God is doing in my life right now, growing me and teaching me how to be a disciple of him. So you're going to see some patterns here. Number one, lost. This is identifying the immovable or the impossible thing in front of you that you cannot overcome. What is God teaching you? Well, I I was at my wit's end. I could not move forward. I I was done. It was impossible. At some point in your life, I promise... God did this for the Apostle Paul. Just for sake of time, we're not going to look at all the passages, but he brings us to our very limits to show us repeatedly his provision. So what we need to do is identify those problems that we can't solve. If you're going to give a witness to what God is doing right now, which I I want to submit to you, I I really hope everybody's got one of these. If, if, If God's not leading you to a place of your own inability... Well, let's talk after the service a little bit, because uh, this is the story for all Christians. He is using us in spite of ourselves in an evil world, which will continually force you to be placing your dependence on him. So that's the first. Here's what I can't get over. Second is when I'm found. This is how your testimony must credit God's provision. God made a way where there was no way. Uh, one last one here I just put on the screen. Identify the lessons and actions that God has provided and then lastly loved. Your testimony of your discipleship must reveal how you are continuing to grow in your walk with him. This is how God has provided so that it is a bridge towards growth. If you have your sermon notes, and I'm so thankful I see many of you uh, taking these notes down. I've included in here, in these themes, because I want them to be easy to remember, Right? Lost, found, loved. Let's say it together. Ready? Lost, found, loved. Here's what I want to ask. When you drive home today, ask your spouse, all right? Tell me, how were you lost? How did God find you? How is he loving you right now? Because we need to practice this. And this is so, so obvious. Not only do we see it in the scripture, but the hymn writer of Amazing Grace, John Newton, actually follows the same pattern. So you'll see in your sermon notes, I have followed with a little verse from each uh, in this pattern. Um, Under the first one, under your conversion, you'll see that uh, um, Amazing Grace, 
How sweet the sound that saved a what? There's your sin, right? Um, I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's the second one. Uh, was blind, but now God's using me. Now I see. For the second one on discipleship, this is the next verse in the song, through many dangers, toils, and snares. That's exactly what you're going to go through in this life. Um, the second one, how you're found, tis, uh, tis grace has brought me safe this far. And lastly, grace will bring me home. Uh, I, I'm just wanting you to see how this is, this is exactly the story that you've been given. These three steps. Now, how do, how, how do we live with this? Let me give us some application as we try to wrap things up this morning. The first thing that you need to do when it comes to practicing evangelism is you need to pray. That's number one. Lord, give me the right words to say. Show me those people. Give me the reminder of my conversion and what you are doing right in my life. I don't know if you've ever been challenged by this. To, to me, I've been in ministry almost my whole life, but, and you've been in church for most of your life, right? Have you ever been challenged to share your story? You have a unique story. I almost wonder if you've ever been seen from the scriptures how there's a grid behind it of having been lost and then found and then loved. So ask God to show you if you've never seen this, if you've never tried this, it starts with prayer. Do not share your testimony unless you're praying first. Always, always, always begin with pray and then, uh, prayer. And then secondly, you need to practice this. Church, you need to practice sharing your testimony. If you were called to the witness stand, Imagine, there we are in eternity, and we've got God as the judge, and you've got all of the rebellious nations who hate God. And the defense says, I call to the stand you. And, and you, you say, me? You're looking around. There's got to be someone else here with that name. No, your turn. Come on up. Raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth? Ah, it's God right there. I told you I'm going to tell the truth. What would you say? What's your testimony? That God is real. That he's Lord. That he is alive. And that he died for your sins. Because you have a special testimony to give. Amen? Amen. We're going to do something unique this morning. We're going to actually practice it here at church. I am going to ask uh, Sarah and Luke Adams if they will come up to the front. And um, as they're making their way up here... Um, Sarah has been through quite a journey, and uh, I know she wants to share that testimony with the church, but I want you to see it from her, not only for the, for the uh, blessing of what God's done in her life, but so you can see what it looks like to share your testimony. So she's a little nervous. Will you please welcome Sarah Adams? Super scary. But. It is. I'm shaking. <laughs> and I'm gonna cry this what I do. <laughs> so, so Sarah, I know that you have been through quite a bit. Now this is the conversation between me and you now, alright? Uh, th this is the chance to share your story and everyone here is just gonna listen. Okay. So what has God been teaching you? So six months ago we had COVID. And along with COVID symptoms, now it's got panic attacks. Heart's racing, can't breathe, feel like I'm gonna have a heart attack, my body is tremoring, 
right now because I'm a little anxious, but these were, these panic attacks were all more severe. It was just anxiety, they would just spiral and spiral and spiral until I was just shaking, like tremoring, and I could not get on top of them. <clears throat> and I was having one or two a day, um, trying to get into the doctor, and they wouldn't see us because we had COVID. And they wouldn't give me any medication unless I had an in-person visit. So I got nothing. And felt very alone, dropped, abandoned. Um, couldn't get into um, a mental health professional for eight months unless I was suicidal. So that was another resource that I tried to access and I didn't have. <clears throat> um, so we went all the way on our own. Um, ended up getting eventually um, my surgeons through Frederick, um, got a referral through them and got to see a counselor. Um, tried, she encouraged me, she gave me some tools to use to help with the panic attacks on a daily basis and that, that helped some, um, but I was still having them. They were getting less and less frequent and I got used to dealing with them and going on life. I'd make extra time for appointments in case I had one before an appointment or I'd make sure that I was going through places, going places that I knew I had somebody safe to be with, whether Luke had to take me or whether I was with my parents or somebody that could take care of me or my children when I just lost it. Going to Walmart, I sat in the bathroom for 45 minutes one time in Walmart because yeah. I could not leave. Mm -hmm. I was stuck. Mm -hmm. So it was, these were affecting daily life and I dealt with it and they were becoming less and less frequent. I was doing my darndest to deal with these, to get through on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, my husband really picked up the slack and helped out a lot. And that was great. But I felt like that's all these things that I should be able to do. I could, I was, I was trying to do all these things that I needed to do as a mom, as a wife, and I couldn't, you know, I, I, it was just struggling so much. And then I got, um, in December, we were baking, um, and I had a bunch of rain powder, and I got an asthma attack, which precipitated even more panic attacks. And they became a lot more severe and a lot more frequent. I was having two or three, four a day, and things deteriorated even more. And I tried, um, I couldn't eat. Um, I was trying all kinds of medications. I tried to go on an antidepressant because I'd successfully been on a decade before and ended up in the ER. Um, things just got progressively worse and worse. They were five, six, seven times a day. <clears throat> um, went to the ER and they gave me medication, made me feel really hungover and basically sent me home, sealed it until I could talk to my therapist on previous Monday. So spent the weekend modeling through on our own. And after I got home from the ER, voices started, voices started in my head telling me that this life was not worth living. And I can't do this. These are gonna last forever. And this is not some way that I wanna live. It's, it's just not worth it. You can't do this. This is just going to continue. It's not going to get better. And I knew those voices were not mine, but they were there, and they were scary. Mm. I, I wanted to 
that there there were a lot of um, there was a handful of wonderful women that would check on me daily, several times a day. Sometimes um, I knew they they were praying for me. I had a drop of a hat when things got really bad. I could just say, guys, I'm struggling. Like right now, I I don't I can't. And they drop everything they were doing and they would pray and they would send me encouragement. They would send me verses to chew on because I was so debilitated by this point. I couldn't even look up a verse. And the only thing that I could think of was God did not give me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I chewed on that and held on to that like it was a lifeline because it was. And um, one of one of the women gave me a couple of verses. Come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And I needed that because my body was shaking so bad with every one of these panic attacks. My muscles were tight. My body was sore. I would just be shaking for most all day long unless I was sleeping. I was just having panic attacks back to back to back. By the weekend, I was having 10 a day. And so it was just a constant thing. My husband had to pretty much just hold my body together because my body was shaking apart and I could do nothing. I couldn't cook, I couldn't clean, I couldn't take care of my children, I couldn't change diapers, I could do nothing on my own but sit in bed or sit on the toilet and shake and cry and fall apart. That was my existence. And another verse that she gave me that really, really helped that I had to hold on to was may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may abound with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did that. I was losing hope. I had no hope left. I had I could do nothing on my own accord. It was a miserable existence, but I had these verses that I held on to, and they spoon-fed them to me because they were life at that point. I could hold on to nothing. I had exhausted all of my own resources, all of my own strength, and I had I had nothing. And so I held on to those words. They were lifelike. Every panic attack I had felt like that. That string of hope sprayed even more. <clears throat> and um, then Sunday um, after church, Ryan, he came over, and he came over right as I was having a, right in the middle of a panic attack, and I'm sitting here just shaking and falling apart. And he grabbed my hand and he sat with me, and he <laughs> he just said, "Anxiety is just what your body does with fear. It's it's just." a physical manifestation of fear. And what are you afraid of? He said, what was the worst thing that could happen? He said, I could die. I feel like I'm going to have a heart attack. I feel like this headache could be an aneurysm. I feel like I can't breathe and I've got a pulmonary embolism. I don't know. Everything feels like this is trying to kill me. And I know anxiety can't kill me, but what if there's something else going on that I think is anxiety, but it's really something else? And you're like, what's the worst thing that could happen? You could die. Yeah, that's the worst thing that happened. And as gruesome as that sounds, that was hope to me. That gave me hope to keep going. Because I know where I'm going. I know that Jesus 
says, died for me, and he's risen, and he's my savior, and I have a promise of my future. And I don't have to worry. So what's the worst that could happen? I could die. Okay. <laughs> and I knew I had nothing left of my own strength. And I was either going to have to sustain me or take me, because I had nothing left. And that Sunday, things got worse. <laughs> I had, it was a constant state of panic attacks, one after another. I lost track. I had nothing left. I was, I was, all I could do was just verbalize these verses and hang on to them. And I mean, they, they were just, I was chewing on them until they sunk down so deep into my soul that I actually finally believed them. And I lived on them. They were life to me. I played a song in Waymaker for about 48 hours straight and just held on. He's a Waymaker, a promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is who he is. And even when I don't feel it, he's working. Even when I can't see it, he's working. Because I didn't feel it. I didn't see it. It was miserable. But I knew that God was doing something. And if he was going to take me through this whole thing, fine, because this was not fun. <laughs> I was at the point, I was at the end of my own, I was at the end of my own, I had nothing left. Um, so I fell asleep whining and crying these words that I was just holding on to. And I woke up one day, and I took check of my body, and I didn't have a panic attack. And I went, 10 minutes later, I woke, I got up, I got around, and I didn't have a panic attack. I got to the doctor for a follow-up visit that day. I still didn't have a panic attack. And by this point, I was pretty much like, that's how I was living. And that I was like, how have I come all day without having a panic attack? The next day, I didn't have a panic attack. <laughs> and I was getting starting to get pretty hopeful. I have not had a panic attack since December 19th. It's been almost five months. Just 
Just let me know what you need me to do and get out of my own way. He's got this. He has a plan for me. I don't need to know what it is. I just, I bring in the loaves and the fishes and he, he does the multiplying. I don't have to, it's not my burden to carry. It's so freeing to just, he's got this. And tithing, whatever, he's got this. I don't have to worry about it. He's provided. He has provided. He has provided. He provides everything. He provides the sustenance I need. He provides the way. He provides the people that I need to talk to. He provides a wonderful pastor to lead us through and be willing to sit in my nasty living room that I haven't been able to clean for months and hold my hand and tell me what's the worst going to happen if you die. <laughs>